0: welcome to the plant industry news podcast hosted by Brooke Miller with the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Division of Plant Industry. As a regulatory branch of the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, the Division of Plant Industry works to detect, intercept, and control plant and honeybee pests that threaten Florida's native and commercially grown plants and agricultural resources. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Plant Industry News. As a continuation on our discussion of pests in Florida, we are focusing on the exotic fruit fly today. If you are a previous listener, we thank you for your patience and are so glad you're here. To our new listeners, we welcome you and hope you learn so much from our guests and topics. Today, we will be speaking with Dr. Gary Steck about exotic fruit flies. Dr. Steck is an entomologist at DPI. Welcome, Dr. Steck. What's your name and what do you do?
1: Uh, My name is Gary Steck. I work for the Florida Department of Agriculture, the Division of Plant Industry. I'm an entomologist. I have responsibilities for identifying primarily flies, some other uh, groups like termites and so forth. And uh, we do a lot of regulatory activities. We do identifications. We assist people with knowing what their pests are, how to deal with them. Uh, We assist industry with uh, their insect problems, certification of crops that they want to export, things like that.
0: I know you work with exotic fruit flies. Can you tell us a little about those and what they are?
1: When we talk about fruit flies, should clarify that what a lot of people think of as fruit flies is not what we deal with as pests. This name fruit flies uh, is used commonly in you know genetics. Talk people talk about Drosophila, and a lot of genetics research is done with those groups. But that group, those are not pests. They're called fruit flies. They're better called vinegar flies. They're attracted to fermenting fruits and things that are decaying, basically. So they're really not pests. But the so-called truth fruit flies, uh, I can give you a few names, for example. We have things like the uh, apple maggot fly, blueberry maggot fly, cherry maggot fly. And as their name suggests, these are pests of those fruits. And so the adults, they lay their eggs into healthy fruits on the tree and the eggs hatch out and they turn into maggots. So these maggots, they eat their way through the fruit and they're really serious pests. They can completely destroy the fruits. So we have a lot of native species. These ones I just mentioned all occur naturally in North America. We have them also in Florida. But the ones we worry about are the ones that are not here. And there are literally thousands of species occur around the world. And not all of them are pests. But worldwide, there are about 250 different pest species of fruit flies. And those are ones we worry about because we worry about them coming into Florida and attacking our fruits and vegetables that we grow here.
0: So just to clarify, the ones that you would find in your house, maybe during the summer, those aren't the
1: same. Exactly. Yeah, they're nuisance flies, what you see in your house. If you have overripe fruit, you can find them in your kitchens. They're also attracted to wine and beer, anything that's fermenting. So if you have wine glasses sitting around overnight, you might find some flies in them. But those are just nuisance flies. Those are not past fruit flies at all.
0: Is there any distinguishing factors between each of the kinds of fruit flies that we might find here that are damaging?
1: Yeah, there's um, both. They're very different in appearance, of course. And they're actually exceedingly beautiful flies. A lot of them are very colorful. They're much larger than these fruit flies you see in your kitchen. They're brightly colored. They have patterned wings. I like to think of them as the butterflies of the fly world. And then, of course, they have very different biologies. And as the name suggests, some of them are very specific to certain types of fruits. It could be apples or cherries or blueberries, for example. And uh, others of them are much more uh, general in their tastes and some of them can attack literally hundreds of different kinds of fruits. So some of them are relatively more easily managed if they infest just a few different kinds of fruits and others can just get into anything so they can just if you have a breeding population they can move from one plant to another over the course of a year. So those are ones we really worry about and there are a lot of them out there.
0: Which flies are most important to look for in Florida?
1: Well, there are certain ones that move a lot in commerce. And well, not just in commerce. I mean, of course, there's Florida and the U.S. does trade with countries all over the world. Everybody wants to export their fruits to the U.S. We've got great markets, right? And, um... So there are certain pests that have uh, really spread widely in the world, and I, I name a few. One of them is called the Mediterranean fruit fly, and uh, despite its name, it doesn't originate in the Mediterranean. It's actually originally native to sub-Saharan Africa, but that particular fly has been spreading for 200 years, and, you know, the earliest... Colonizations and spreads of these fruit flies, like the Mediterranean fruit fly, were were, were commerce. Uh, Europeans were traveling all over Africa, and they're bringing back shiploads. <laughs> Of you name it, all different kinds of fruits. And they're introduced into the Mediterranean region. And there's still a lot of commerce, of course, that goes on. And we worry about commercial shipment. But those are really pretty highly regulated. So things coming into U.S. ports, uh, they have come in with manifests and permits and uh, clearances. And they may be fruits that have been harvested with all kinds of restrictions in mind. So those tend to be pretty safe. But the biggest problem is actually people carrying fruits and vegetables just in their baggage. So people travel everywhere. They bring back something out of, uh, you know, a, a relative's backyard from some other country and it may look perfectly sound when they collect it. The fruit may look fine, but it might have fruit fly eggs in it or really small larvae that so the fruit looks fine. And people bring things in and then, you know, uh, they find out they hold it for a few days and maybe it doesn't look so good anymore. You know, if you get some damage in it. They may toss it outside and, and then that can be the start of an infestation. So it's really primarily uh, just people moving baggage. Also, a lot of stuff moves through the mail, FedEx, these kinds of international shipping, overnight shipping. People send all kinds of things. People send fruits and vegetables to their relatives florists they send things around. There's just a lot of stuff moving in a lot of different ways. But the biggest problem, at least with fruit flies, actually tend to be not commercial movement, but uh, just people kind of oftentimes innocently moving things that that can be infested.
0: Yeah, so I guess it just takes one piece of fruit, one... Thing that they come in on to really cause a big issue.
1: That's right. That's all it takes. It just takes one. When you travel by land, sea, or air, ask,
0: can I bring it? And declare agricultural items. With your help, we can safeguard natural resources and protect the food supply from invasive pests and disease. Whatever your destination, enjoy the journey. And remember, don't pack a pest. What's the eradication process that you would go through once you find them?
1: Okay. Well, um, finding them is the first thing, right? Mm -hmm. And the state of Florida and uh, really any agriculture area that, you know, grows fruits and trying to protect their, their agriculture industries, um, we run a lot of uh, detection trapping networks. And in Florida, we have a very big and elaborate system. So at any one time, just for fruit flies, just for fruit flies, mind you, we have uh, over 55,000 fruit fly traps in the field scattered around Florida looking for that, you know, that outbreak, that isolated incident where somebody brings something in. So uh, we're always on the lookout for these flies. And then if we do pick something up and it happens pretty regularly, it happens sometimes multiple times a year. Sometimes you may go a couple years without seeing anything. But once something is detected, we pick up a fly in a trap. Then um, then we go on high alert. And the first thing you want to do is know if there are other ones out there, of course. So you can't have a trap on every yard. so. We have a certain number of traps per square mile and in, in high risk areas. So around ports, airports, seaports, and in uh, and in urban areas is typically where these things show up. You might think, well, you worry about fruit flies in your citrus groves, for example, right? Well, that, you do worry about them there. But as I mentioned earlier, these things are usually moving by people carrying stuff. And so people live in towns, they live in cities, and that's where all the traffic is. So typically we find these in urban areas, not in the production areas and um, so when we pick up a fly or more flies several flies in a trap then the first thing we do is we start saturating that area with more traps to see if there are more flies out there maybe there's just one fly and that happen happens frequently we pick up one fly and you never see another one again and in fact, at this moment, um, we have a program going in North Miami. A so-called peach fruit fly was picked up there um, uh, mid-December, picked up one fly. So we saturated that area with traps. Those traps get checked every day or every week if time goes on. And at this point, we haven't picked up another one. So one and done is great. And that happens frequently. And, you know, it may take some minimum you know, kind of invasion cohort, you know, some minimum number of fruits, uh, infested fruits or flies to come in before a population can get established and start spreading. So frequently we see just one and you never find another one and these things die out on their own. But once you find out that there's maybe a lot of flies in an area, which we find out with increased trapping, then you would move into an eradication program, And uh, depending on the fly, the type of fly that determines what kind of an eradication program you have, they have different biologies, different host plant preferences. I can give a couple of examples. One of the flies that we worry about a lot is called the Oriental fruit fly. This thing can attack. It's known to attack and infest over 400 different kinds of fruits and vegetables. And we're not talking just fruits. These things often get into squashes, melons, uh, things you wouldn't think of is, is fruits, for example, tree fruits. So that particular fly, it, it, it's highly invasive. It's spread to a lot of areas in the world. It's it's, it's uncontrolled in a lot of places. So we don't want it here. So when we do pick these up, and it does happen occasionally, and we do an eradication program, we uh, have really a pretty effective. Method for dealing with this particular fly. Turns out that the males are highly uh, attracted to something called methyl eugenol. And methyl eugenol is a naturally occurring substance in nature. It occurs in a lot of plants, for example, in orchids. A lot of orchids produce methyl eugenol, and these flies are actually pollinators of orchids. But this is a super attractant. So you put traps out. Uh, throughout the environment and the males only the males are attracted to it and then you can lace these traps with a little bit of insecticide so the males come to the trap they actually feed on that eugenol, and then at the same time they ingest whatever insecticide you put in there and then they're they're dead so you can literally trap Many, if not most, of the males out of the population and then the population crashes. We call that the male annihilation technique, literally annihilate all the males or enough of them that the population crashes and they're gone. It's really, really effective. There are other fruit flies, though, whose biology is different and that technique does not work. The Mediterranean fruit fly is an example We have uh, a good attractant for it called Trimedlure. Again, it attracts the males. Males come to it, but they only come into the vicinity of this lure. So they'll come to it, but they don't land on it. They don't feed on it. So that's not good enough, right? You need some way of killing those Mm -hmm. flies. So we do uh, something completely different. In a case like that, you know, you have to rely on something uh, more difficult. Uh, you You can spray the area, and we do spraying. Uh, or you put out not just not usually broadcast spraying but you do you put out a bait with spray with an insecticide in it so both males and females have to feed right so you put out some kind of a bait that attracts fruit flies and there are things that there are concoctions of um, say brown sugar and yeast they, they need protein they need sugar to um to mate for example and produce eggs So you can put out bait in a just really fine droplet, put it out on host plant trees that they'd be naturally attracted to anyway. So you can through an area where you know that these fruit flies occur, you go into door yards or into groves and you just spray a little bit on a a number of trees. Certain, you know, an ounce per tree, uh, a few ounces on a a property, for example. And that will attract the flies, they feed on it and then they die. And uh, as long as you know where they are, that can be effective. It is effective. And also you can literally strip the fruits from an area where you know that the flies occur because the females are out there laying eggs and you don't necessarily know where they are. I mean, you can't find an egg in a fruit. So we just literally go strip all the fruits out of an area where you know the flies are and you bury them or you incinerate them. So you just have to literally just uh, eliminate all the immature stages. So we do that, too. And then in addition to this, we can do some preventative measures. So we have another technique that we use specifically for Mediterranean fruit fly, and we call it the sterile insect technique. And so we can mass produce Mediterranean fruit fly in laboratories by the hundreds of millions per week. And in fact, they have genetically modified strains that produce only males. You can produce vast numbers of males in a laboratory. You can irradiate them at a low level, not enough to kill them, but enough to sterilize them. So you can produce huge numbers of males, sterilize them, and then release them into the environment where, either where you have an, a known outbreak. And uh, what happens is you can flood that area with sterile males, so whatever wild females, whatever fertile females are out there, they're looking for a mate, and they're most likely to find a sterile male. So they mate and their eggs will never hatch. So we do that on a preventive basis. So every week in Florida, we release approximately 100 million sterile male medflies in the dense urban areas, primarily the Miami area and also over in the Tampa area on the Gulf Coast. And so that way, you know, surely medflies are coming in on a regular basis. Prior to doing to establishing this preventative release program, we used to have numerous outbreaks of Mediterranean fruit fly, sometimes multiple times per year. But once we instituted this SIT, the sterile insect technique program, we just never see them. I mean, they come in, but we never know it by the time um, you know some flies come in and infested fruits, say some adults come out, they're looking to establish a population. And it never happens, and we never even know about it. So it's a great technique, so it's it's kind of flying under the radar, it's out there all the time. People aren't even aware of it, but it's very effective. We just do not have Mediterranean fruit fly outbreaks like we used to back prior to starting this program. It's very effective.
0: So these males, they aren't damaging at all. They're just out there. Existing. Well, that's a good
1: point. Right. It's uh, the females. I mean, of course, when they lay eggs and, and the eggs hatch, and then you've got maggots in your fruit, which is bad enough. But the females also, they're just laying eggs. Actually, laying eggs can damage the, the fruit. So they're puncturing the fruit. And then you can get, um, you know, you can get uh, yeast and mold and bacteria. So they can cause damage even without... You know larvae development but yeah, the males would do nothing in that regard they don't affect the fruits at all so it's just really a benign way to treat and to prevent these outbreaks
0: yeah that definitely seems better for for everyone involved than having to call out fruit and vegetables in an entire area
1: exactly yeah it's very effective you yeah, know we're very happy with it
0: what's the largest amount that you found of these flies
1: well, um, well, personally, <laughs> well, let me we talk about historically, uh, we talk about these fruit fly detections, right? And nowadays, we have these big trapping networks, and the whole point of these trapping networks, very widespread as they are, is to detect a population when it first arrives, and it's very small. So typically, we pick up one fly or maybe two in a trap. But historically, we didn't have this kind of a detection system. So I mentioned Mediterranean fruit fly, and the first outbreak of this thing was in Florida in 1929. And there was no trapping system, but there was a grower in the Orlando area that had a grove, and he just, you know, all his fruit were dropping off the trees. And, you know, what's going on here, right? And that was determined to be a Mediterranean fruit fly infestation. So there were huge numbers at that point. There was another example of a fruit fly that got away from us, something called the Caribbean fruit fly, showed up in a big way in, in the mid-1960s down in the Miami area. And the first traps that picked these flies up, uh, there were numerous, on, I don't know, maybe 20 male in a trap. And right after that happened, of course, we went out and expanded the trapping network. And then they found the fly was already all over the place. It was very widespread. And they just, there was the a decision made not even to an attempt eradication. It wasn't, it's not the most serious of the fruit fly path. So there was no attempt to eradicate. But typically it's um, one fly, right? I mentioned uh, the Oriental fruit fly. We did have uh, an outbreak and eradication program back in 2015. And uh, we were actually shocked when the first trap we detected this particular pest on. There were 45 flies on that one trap. And that was a big surprise because that was more flies on one trap than we'd ever seen in our whole history of trapping for that particular fruit fly in Florida. So that was quite a shock. But there was just, there was a hot spot and that's where they were. And that's, we went in immediately. And, and so at least we knew where the core was and we could deal with it. But um, one and done is what you're hoping for. Right? So. <laughs>
0: We've moved that far forward that maybe we have one every so often, but right. it's not a long-term process right, to right, get right. through.
1: Yeah, you know, I might add that fruit flies are somewhat unusual among the pests that we get. We have our, our technology as, as primitive as it may be, right? We have traps that attract males, and they can be pretty short-distance trap, but they're good enough, right? We have thousands of them out there, and you can you can detect these fruit fly incursions pretty early, but there's so many other pests and diseases that by the time you detect them, it's already too late. And a great example of that is the Asian citrus psyllid, which has just devastated our, our citrus industry. And by the time that insect, it's just a very small insect, was detected it was already out there in astronomical numbers. It was everywhere, and at that point, there's nothing you can do. And that is a very common occurrence with a lot of the things that we deal with in Florida. The diseases, when you once you detect a disease, sometimes these things sit there. Uh, and maybe take years for them really to develop to the point where they manifest themselves. And at that point, it's too late to eradicate it. All you do is try what you can to, to manage it right. But proof of, eyes, proof of eyes are exceptional. We're very good at detecting them early enough and in a very limited area that we can go in and do a treatment and be done with them. And uh, it costs money to do that. It costs money to run these eradication or these detection networks. And it costs money to do the eradication. But that cost is far less than the cost of living with these pests. It's the direct damage they do is huge. Uh, it hurts your export markets. I mean, people won't accept fruits if they say, well, they know you've got some pests and they say, you, you've got to certify somehow that your, your fruit that you're shipping to some other country or other state is pest free. So there's a huge cost if you don't eradicate. So that's, that's what we aim to do, just eliminate the problem and then move on.
0: How can our listeners learn more about these fruit flies?
1: Well, fruit flies have actually been intensely studied for a long time. They've been, I mean, they're pests worldwide, right? And the Mediterranean fruit fly example has been on the move for 200 years. There's been an enormous amount of research done on fruit flies starting 100 plus years ago. In Departments of Agriculture, Florida Department of Agriculture, California Department of Agriculture, which, which both have really big fruit industries, uh, their websites have and their scientists have a lot of information on these pests. The U.S. Department of Agriculture, of course, oversees national activities, and uh, you can find they put out a lot of information. Another agency you might not think of who does this as well is the International Atomic Energy Agency. Because they're the ones that have actually funded a lot of this research into using uh, real radiation to uh, to sterilize fruit flies. So they've, for decades, they have promoted and um, and funded research into do using a sterile insect technique. So they have a website as well in which they have a lot of information on fruit flies, the types of pests and, and control measures and national programs. So this, you can find everything on the Internet, right? But there really is a huge amount of information out there, both kind of more general public interest, and then there's a lot of very specific research. And then I might add as well that uh, extension agents, every county in Florida has an extension um, uh, office, and they are well-versed on all kinds of, you know, plant and insect garden pests, and and they certainly know about fruit flies and fruit fly control. So any of those groups could provide information.
0: Is there anything else you wanted to add or talk about?
1: Something that... um, in terms of what the public might do or their own, uh, you know, to to further our interest and protect our interest, I mean, just awareness of these kinds of pests. So lots of people, landscapers, gardeners, I mean, they're very aware of what's, you know, getting into their things that are growing in their own gardens. So being aware of what's out there, um, notifying someone like uh, an extension agent, if you see some unusual problem, that's, and you can go to them for advice, of course, but sometimes that's part of our early alert system, right? It's not necessarily some state, Management or detection program. That's going to be the first uh, person to notice something. I mean, it's, it's not unusual that the commercial growers or or homeowners detect some problem that hasn't been known otherwise. So we, we rely on the public actually to be our eyes and ears. Then also awareness of how these things move. I mean, so you can, anybody can do their part. And it's not what, oftentimes what you do, but what you don't do. And what you don't do is spread these things around unknowingly. So, uh, especially with international travel, uh, I mean, uh, people would hopefully be aware that they shouldn't be bringing in fruits and vegetables and meats and all kinds of things. And these are, you know, pretty closely watched. There's always uh, the USDA inspections at the airports that, you uh, will The little beagles, the sniffer dogs out Mm -hmm. there, they're looking for stuff. You know, they're Mm -hmm. looking for people, they're looking for baggage that's got fruits and vegetables in it. Being aware that that's how these pests move is really important for the the general public just so they don't do it. We just want to Mm -hmm. avoid that because it just, you know, save headaches for a lot of people by being aware of that.
0: Well, thank you so much for all of your information, your knowledge and Mm -hmm. telling people where they can go to learn more.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you. You bet.
0: For more information on exotic fruit flies or other invasive pests in Florida, visit fdacs.gov for more information. Thanks for tuning in to Plant Industry News. We are so appreciative of our listeners, hosts, and those involved in the production of this podcast to keep it on the air. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating and review, as well as share with friends and colleagues. To learn more, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at at FDACSDPI. F-D-A-C-S-D-P-I. See you next episode.